Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here's your host, DJ Bob. I'd like to start this episode with a message. I like you just the way you are. There's no one else in the world like you. And those are the messages of the person that our guest spent countless years with and hours with, Mr. Fred Rogers. Today we are joined by longtime director of the neighborhood, Paul Lowey. We talk about the first time we met Fred, the day-to-day schedule, disability inclusion, and so much more. It's a beautiful day in the studio, for sure. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like this has been years in the making. Well... All good things are worth waiting, Bob, so I'm glad to be here. It feels like it's been on the docket forever, but we're here. Um, yes. So, for those that don't know who you are, would you mind giving a quick little elevator pitch of all the stuff you've done over the years? Well, yeah, I'm a busy man, but uh, uh, yes, I've been in broadcasting my whole career. And which is stretches back to the 1970s when I started in public television and has continued ever since. I had 10 years regular television work. Then my big break came with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where I was hired as the director and writer for that great children's television program. And I was there for about 10 years and got to know Fred very well. We were best of friends. And I learned from the master on how to direct and write for people who look into that camera. And the camera is a very powerful thing. And I took that knowledge with me to staying in public television. And I went over and began executive producing an Italian cooking series on PBS, which is now the longest running cooking series in America, Ciao Italia. Who doesn't like Italian food, right? So. Uh, and I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. And I've been doing it and I stay in touch uh, with Fred's friends, you know, people who worked with Fred as well. So he was uh, a major force in my life as he was with millions of people, especially children. How's that for a little background on me? That's wonderful. <laughs> That's okay. great. Good. Tell me a bit about the first time you met Fred. Sure. It's my favorite story, please. Uh, I got hired and drove out there from Washington, D.C. My wife and at at the time, my late wife and my two kids stayed back in uh, Virginia. And I drove out in my little Volkswagen out to (laughs) I didn't even know where Pittsburgh was. I mean, I flew out for the interview 
and flew back. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if I got, I got the job, and I realized I really didn't know how far Pittsburgh is from Washington, D.C. It's quite a haul. So I'm tootling. I get to uh, Pittsburgh, uh, right, oh, close to noontime. I walk in. I you know, see Fred. We hug each other. Glad, glad you're with us on board. So you want to go for a swim? Uh, and I, <laughs> I'm brain dead from driving. I said, let's do it. And Fred was a huge swimmer, swam every day of his life and uh, at the Pittsburgh Athletic Association. And we went in there. And back then, this is in the 70s, uh, it was an all-male institution, number one, Pittsburgh Athletic. It was, you know, not intentionally sexist. It's just how it was. And uh, the gentlemen, like in the Greek, swam in the nude, very common. I mean, ugh, not for me, but it's a very natural thing. So, Fred, <laughs> we're in the dressing room, and I realize I'm seeing other gentlemen walking around with towels, but I'm realizing these guys don't have their clothes on. So, okay, here we go. I mean, oh, when in Rome, you know, do as the Romans. So, I followed Fred out to the pole. And believe me, I, I kept my eyes on him, on his, no lower than his chest. I assure you, that's just the whole idea of it. Fred dove in, starts swimming. And I just kind of a metaphor for my life in that moment as a young guy I was in my uh, uh, mid thirties. I just said, here I go. I'm going into a whole new world, a whole new life. I just dove in and started swimming. I've been a lifeguard, so I could swim like a bandit. And I just swam and I swam there for 10 years. But that's how I first met Fred. What, what an introduction. Yeah, what? yeah sure was. <laughs> And you know what? People say, and it's a good segue here for uh, some people say, you know, Fred has tattoos. That's why he wears a sweater. You have these um, uh, uh, kind of folk, I mean, what you call it, but any folk legends, but that's not really true because I know it. I saw the guy naked, okay? And <laughs> I didn't see everything, but I can tell you, I guarantee you, they don't have any tattoos. But there's a, a reason behind that. I think that urban legend springs up, but that's a side story entirely. But yeah, it's a great meeting. So disability inclusion is such an important part of Fred's world. So what do you think it meant to you and what did it mean to the series? Well, one of Fred's, one of his iconic songs, as well as one of his iconic sayings is that there's no one in the world exactly like you, and people can like you just the way you are. And that key word is just the way you are. And he not only said it, he, he practiced what he preached, that people he liked people just the way they are. And whether regardless of race or abilities or anything, he, he demonstrated that affection. I think, in my opinion, and I sort of practice it myself, that when you say that there is a connective tissue in all of us, you know, we're all like one big thing. So I can like you just the way you are because I am you and you're me. You know, we're all on the, all the same bozos on the same bus, you know? <laughs> and Fred, uh, with the visual, if you see someone who's disabled, whether they, regardless if it's, if it's physical, mental, that regardless of what the what the eyes see, the senses see, that the truth remains that they are a whole person. 
And, and Fred demonstrated that all the time. And I learned, you know, I learned a lot from him. So when we're direct, when I was directing the scenes and, and that sort of attitude, because a director really, you don't see them on television because I'm in the control room and calling the shots on the cameras and stuff. But I interact on the studio floor with the people, you know, with Fred or with whoever was with him, that that attitude of acceptance, you know, I, I carried that under the studio floor and it helped me literally, you know, to frame cameras a certain way and to, to visually support his, his uh, interaction with a person regardless of the of the uh, disability because the spirit is not disabled you know it sounds fred was more far more spiritual than he was religious and he's an ordained presbyterian minister and everybody knows that but fred was spiritual in that he believed that that part of the human existence is part of the human existence and that we are all kind of connected that way and we have a responsibility to act that way and when you do it you the barriers come down and the me versus you disappears you know you and i are talking because we're just the same thing you know (laughs) we're exchanging thoughts that's how fred looked at the world and i do too and it's such a cool thing because from the moment you and i met you've been sort of like one of my like an advocate or like a big supporter of our of what we do here and i appreciate it so it'd be like you know it doesn't matter no you're good at what you do what can i say you're you're assertive you're you you know you're good you know what can i say i applaud you and and obviously, secondarily, uh, who you are, uh, you are demonstrating in your own way. It's a great chance. I thought about this this morning before we talked that, uh, I don't know, this is just a fresh thought I had, and I'd be interested in what you think, that a person who is not kind of in the mainstream, okay, either they're suffering about for something or they are disabled about something, that it, it gives another person it gives another human being a chance to love them again gives them a reason to uh, display their own compassion their own understanding that to be a walking talking opportunity for someone else to express their love is part of of how i would understand this sounds kind of overly poetic but i i really think that that's what's happening you know your disability gives me a chance to just to know your spirit see you but also a chance to to demonstrate my compassion and my understanding and my support it's an opportunity so i thank you for that that weird (laughs) but i do i always tell people that because for the longest time i never used to talk about my disability Uh on this podcast Um, because I never wanted it to be the focus of the show. I never wanted it to be the, like the, for lack of a better term, make a wish sort of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. But then 
one can't start talking about it more. It created a dialogue, and it created um, a platform for the guests to ask questions about, to me, about my life and how their work has impacted me. And it, it just, it creates a great back and forth with it included. Mm -hmm. Good. That's what you're saying is kind of affirming what I, I, I feel is true as well. That the, the back and forth, as you said, that that's really what it is, isn't it? You know, it's the back and forth. And I, I just, I, I love watching your, your fearlessness of what you do. You know, you, you don't even think of it as being beyond fear. You just, you just are who you are, you know, that's great. <laughs> because I just there, were yeah. there were times where I was, I mean, I still have so many insecurities about what I do and it's, working in this industry is kind of like tricky for me because people automatically see it as, you know, look what he's doing despite his disability, but he's like, don't you get up in the morning too? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's one thing Fred used to say, look, yeah, you're not, you go talk to somebody. They weren't thinking until that moment in time came, they were thinking about how the Red Sox were doing this year. You know what I mean? <laughs> what? What? Okay. Oh, how did I lose my sight? Well, okay. Let's go back to that talk. You know, so that sense of you're in your life, just like I'm in my life. And it's, it's a dichotomy, I, I must admit. But I, let me help you, or let me suggest that you are triggering where you are and how you are triggers another human being's opportunity to love you and be compassionate. So you have to kind of, you're giving them a gift. I know that sounds, Fred would say that, get away with it. So no, <laughs> pretend I, I'm Fred no, saying I, Cause if I, cause you're on the, on the point of like, if I don't say it, who will, you know? Right. Sure. If I don't express, cause there are so many, now this could sound very wrong and I don't mean to offend people. That's not what I do here, but there are so many people who are disability advocates, but are so like preachy about it. And like, there's a cure for this. There's a, it's like, <laughs> no, just live with it. Like, yeah. like you yeah. have it, use it. <laughs> well, there you just said that's, uh, if you don't have tattoos, that ought to be one. If you have it, use it, you know? You have it, you're using it, so, you know. It, it's, um, it's a concept that I've had to adapt, you know, my podcast to because I never, I just never felt the need to discuss my disability. That being said, it's not a disability podcast, but it's... Right. A, it's a secondary character on this podcast and I just 
what I'm trying to do here, and this could sound very pretentious of me, whatever, but I'm trying to be another voice like Fred was. Right. And that's what I constantly try. Mm. I constantly try to make people see people with disabilities in a way they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Uh, yeah, well, frankly, if you've got it, use it is what that's one way to do it. You know, that, and people see you do that saying, well, I never thought of that. This guy's doing podcasts and all this stuff. So partly just by what you're doing is in itself um, uh, needs no explanation. Oh, there it is. Um, that I think it's important to have um, to, to have you know self analysis of what you're doing. But in the end, you know, you're just doing it because you like yeah. it. You ask a question, you're interesting, you know. I think that's what Fred would tell you. Fred would say, what's the next question? You know, because he he, he gets it, you know, and I get it. Um, so and I were think you, it's, uh, go ahead. So were go you ahead. directing the Jeff Erlinger episode or were you not there yet? Not there yet. That My dear friend Bob Walsh directed that and he did an impeccable job, mind you, the way he shot that, the way the cameras were arranged. Yeah, that was wonderful with Jeff. And, you know, Bob Walsh is uh, a dear friend, and he stayed, he really helped me when I got there. We talked through, used to talk through the Mr. Rogers neighborhood operas with him. But he had a good sense of it. But he was strictly business, you know. He would direct the basketball game or Fred Rogers. He wasn't as kind of joined at the hip with Fred as I was at, on a content level, because I was a writer, too. I mean, I wrote episodes for that, so. But the Jeff piece, fabulous. That's, you know, success needs no explanations. Fred and him talking, the way Fred was on that second step. And and Jeff and Erling just being who he was. That was wonderful. Um, and then you saw the, at the Emmy Awards, remember that? He got, oh, the last yeah. Was Jeff was still yes. Yeah, yeah. Jeff came out, Fred about, knocked Fred out of the park. Uh, that was fabulous moment. Uh, you know, good full circle. So, what was your schedule on set like? Well, if you took, we would shoot five, we would do a week's worth of programming, meaning a theme. Rogers talks about going to school, or Mr. Rogers talks about pets, or whatever. So, you establish a theme. So, over a period of three months, 90 days, you would, in that 90 day period, Go on location first, do all the secondary shooting on location with, with and without Fred. And I was direct all those, you know, picture, picture things, how people make ice cream, how people make sewing machines, you know, you do picture, picture. Then Fred's location pieces, like with Yo-Yo Ma, goes to his house, all those location pieces. They're all done, you edit them, you know how long they are. And that's like three weeks into it. Then you'd set up the Big Studio A in Pittsburgh, WQED. You would put up the neighborhood of make-believe first. And that was the castle and the tree and the clock. You would shoot all the segments of, of, that had to do with each day-to-day -day script in about a week. 
Then you take the whole set down and you put up Mr. Rogers' house, put up the house. Same set, same studio. Then Fred would shoot, <clears throat> we'd shoot all the, uh, in, called the interiors. And those were, the art of Fred Rogers, he was such a good writer. And I learned to write like him, that he, he all of that stuff in the house was on prompter. Uh, through a lens line, he'd look into the lens, but he was reading what he wrote, but he would write, he wrote so well that it sounded like he was talking. And he didn't memorize it, it but the words were too important. Every word was, you know, picked over until it was just right. And he didn't want to make a mistake. His message to the children, you know, because when he was wearing his tie and his coat and all that, that was the, the hard part for him. The week prior with Neighborhood of Make Believe's running around dressed in show, what we call show black, you know, black pants, black shirt, sneakers, running around doing the puppet voices. And kind of relaxed because he was not in makeup or he was doing his thing. So, but once the interiors went up, we would shoot those in another week. So you have on location, neighborhood to make believe week, interiors for a week. Then we'd edit post production edit, and by the end of three months, you'd have a full week's worth of shows, and off they would go to the net network. So that was the kind of production cycle you did. I think four of those cycles a year. Is that right? Three, six, nine. Well, maybe maybe just three cycles. So it was nine months out of the year. And then you had other, you know, stuff you're doing, specials and things. But very, very busy. Uh, but, and that's sort of a long answer to it. That was the kind of the schedule to put it up. You know, it started in pieces until all the pieces fit. And then away it went. And, like, do you ever, like look back at it now and are you ever like how did i do all of that <laughs> i think all of us do that in many respects yeah when you're in the moment when you're just doing it i also knew when i went there i had my kids were sarah and gabriel I had two daughters they were like i don't know fourth grade and sixth grade but then I knew that I was in the prime of my life. I was probably mid-30s. And I was just going to give this guy my best shot. You know, just do it. And for 10 years, I did. I, I was tireless, you know. You know, I'd always say, you know, I, I direct a children's television program called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, and then person go, oh, yeah, 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 I know. I'd be setting up, you know, how people make bicycle helmets or how people make applesauce. You know, that kind of thing where you go out and shoot these things. And I'll give you a little insight. Whenever we would sh I would shoot or direct a uh, a picture picture, you know, how people make things. Yeah. We did that to show to show children how you can integrate things. You know, you you could take things apart, put them together. And at the end of every every picture picture show people don't know this but fred would always sing everything goes together because we are one piece your nose da, 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 da. he would sing you know he wrote all his own music so his little songs were keyed in but what we were showing at a at a deeper level for children uh, preschoolers is the human body is integrated everything's connected so if you watch crayons being put together you know and what was important is that we couldn't, 
I never had an ape when I called the headless horseman shops. You had to show people, moms and dad, you know, people working on these things, not just hands. If you look at a lot of process photos now, you know how it made, how it's made. Fred didn't want that because human beings do it. Mom, you know, parents are working. And it sounds subtle, but it's really true that we always showed, we integrated the, the human being with the process. So that was, you know, we were showing a child that the world works. I, I mean, I always love that because, because people think that these things just happen. They don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And satisfying. Even to this day, I'll watch process stuff. It's satisfying. And I believe because there's an inner part of us seeing integration of components. We are components, your lungs, your liver, your teeth, your hair. You know, we are in a world of components everywhere. The street, the keyboard, you know, everything's in pieces, but everything goes together because we are one piece as humans. It's, it's very subtle stuff that Fred was attuned to. And uh, being a very spiritual guy, he brought all that up to the forefront and, and a very fearless guy. I think mostly because he didn't look fearless. He didn't look like a middle linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, he's kind of stoop shoulder, slender kind of guy and soft spoken. He was literally just your friend. Like he, like the average person you knew, but there was something deeper that I don't feel like a lot of people in the mainstream understood until later because yeah. he was made fun of for years oh yeah he loved it as long as his kids weren't fooled around which is a good anecdote you know because Eddie Murphy used to do Mr. Robertson's neighborhood and stuff he loved that stuff number one that that's good publicity you know, it, it didn't bother him a bit. And uh, and you're right that he, he was he was teased that way. But I'll tell you my Burger King story because this is true. So Burger King has a commercial running. And it's, you know, Fred, you know, a guy acting like Fred, talking like Fred about hamburgers and stuff. Well, everybody in the neighborhood, there's a small company. Everybody gets all up in arms. So they can't do this. This is awful. Everybody's all like, everybody's feathers are ruffled, you know. If we don't get a hold of lawyers, we can't do it. So I'm part of this at the end. We're in Fred's office. And Fred just said, look, find out who's who's the, the person at the ad agency. Uh, I need the name of the person and the phone number of someone who can stop this. Everybody kind of came. I was staying passive. So they found out the guy at, at the ad agency. And Fred called him. Said, hi, I'm Fred Rogers. And. And you know they have you have an ad running now for Burger King. I'm paraphrasing it. And he said, I, I love uh, uh, the publicity from people making fun of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but that happens at night, you know, Tonight Show or at uh, Saturday Night Live. He said that's when a child is asleep. A child during the day watching this commercial, it will be confused. That's all. And I don't, I don't think that's. I'm not here to confuse children. So I would like you to stop running the commercial. And he just waited. <laughs> the guy at the other end said, you're right. 
and we'll do that. That day, they, they pulled the commercial. Burger King, millions of dollars, pulled it. Okay. Wow. And there's a little caboose to the store. Yeah, they did. They pulled it. It's gone. You can't find it anywhere. And they stopped. No lawsuits, no this, no that, bump, no cease and desist, just for talking to the person. And, and he was unassailable. So two months later, this is a caboose story. We're in New York City filming with Fred, uh, the Harlem uh, Dance Theater of Harlem. And we finished filming and we're, we are going somewhere. We're on foot at this point. We're crossing, you know, Fifth Avenue to go somewhere, okay? We're walking across the crosswalk, all right? I'm with Fred. I used to be kind of like the bodyguard, friendly, because I'm like 6'4", but I'm like, you know, just walking along with Fred. This young guy, you see that look in their eye when they recognize Fred. I mean, people, everybody honking their horns and waving at Mr. Rogers. That's all fun for them. This guy's got that look in his eye. And he said, Mr. Rogers, you know, right, right in the front walk, he said, I was you in that Burger King commercial. Fred comes to a dead halt right in the middle of the crosswalk. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. You've lost all of, the, all of those residuals. I, I'm really sorry. And the kid that said, the actor said, that's okay, Mr. Rogers, blah, 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 blah. That was Fred's first thought was, I'm so sorry, because he could have made probably 50, 50 grand of uh, residuals on that. You know, that's a big deal. My brother was an actor in New York who did commercials to stay alive. And you lived off commercials. So Fred wow. knew that. And I, and so then the kid went his way and Fred went his way. And we continued to crosswalk and the light turned green and we, we did it. I How bet you that, looked huh? at I bet you looked at each other and you're like, what just happened? Uh-huh. <laughs> like Yeah. Like what the 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 odds of that are crazy. See? It's mystical to say the least. Oh, it's all meant to be. We're all like it's all one big boat. We're all bozos on the same bus. That's an old rock and roll line, but it's really true. And yeah, and Fred, not only are we, Fred is alert to it. You know, he, he's, and I am too. I, I, you aren't going to catch me snoozing, you know. I, I'm, I don't know how else to explain it, but that wouldn't have happened with somebody else, but it did with Fred. Yeah. I'm still so, laughing, thinking about so- that, so what's the tra- what's the transition like? You're doing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for ten years, and then you do yeah. a cooking, and then you do a uh, cooking yeah. show. Was that a yeah? That's funny. Part? Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, the transition. Yeah, from from when I left the neighborhood, I'd done a couple over a hundred so odd things of episodes. My brother's living in. in New Hampshire at the time, and I wanted to. I figured, okay, that's my shot. I'm going to go teach television production now. I'm going to blah blah blah. So I got a job at uh, New Hampshire Public Television, and I started. I taught uh, television production too over at the university. But within a year, I wasn't there. And uh, the the cooking show they with Marianne Esposito, uh, they wanted to take it national. And since I had experience, and I was hired at the public television station as a director producer so i took over 
And I would talk to Fred maybe once a week or so because I had to figure out. I saw the pilot. It was terrible. This woman's talking to the camera, and it's just, oh, my God. I just thought this is just, oh, it's awful. Overdriven, you know, just, anyhow, it was not good. And I said, sure, I'll produce it because what the hell, I mean, it's my job. And I remembered, <clears throat> excuse me, I was driving over to see Marianne for the first time. And I had all this do's and don'ts in my head, you know. And I got in, we, we met, sat down in the living room. And I opened my mouth to speak. And instead of starting all that, here's what I said. I said, Marianne, tell me, when you, after you uh, tape an episode, you know, a cook, let's say you're cooking lasagna bolognese or whatever the recipe is, you know, six, seven, eight, 12 minute segment. When you finish, where do you sit in the studio? How, how is it arranged so you can watch playback? Because, and I, when I said that, I, I knew deep down, I said, I know that she's not looking at playback, that they're moving ahead. This little voice in my head. But I said, you know, where, tell me where you sit. She just looked at me. And that little, in that silence, I said, you know, when I was working with Fred, with Mr. Roger's neighborhood, I made sure I said Fred, like he and I were drinking buddies. I said, when Fred, Fred always would sit and I'd sit next to him and the camera people would sit around. We'd watch playback. And if Fred liked it, we would move on. And if he didn't, well, we'd do it again. Uh, and if, since I'm going to be working with you now, is it okay with you if we, we proceed that way, if we watch playback? And, I knew she just said sure I knew that the tail was wagging the dog on this that show that you know, people were telling her do this do that do this do that do this look look to the right look to the left and she was like a little automaton and I knew from Red, from Red Rogers just the opposite when you work in television you walk into a television studio you see lights cameras it's the most overwhelming situation and any wonder you'd be kind of, whoa, you know, if you were a civilian. And I know that I had the power as the mediator, the television person. So I just gave it over to her, you know. So and, we started. And was she, and was she yeah. thankful? And was she thankful for your suggestion? That was, I mean, I'll tell you this way. <clears throat> for the first two weeks, we would rehearse, cook with fruit. Real good ingredients, but we would tape a rehearsal, okay, and look at it. And I had a young crew of college student, age students, and stuff running the camera. God Almighty, I had to make this look like a network show. We would sit there. She'd sit next to me, and I still remember she'd sit there watching herself. And it's a simple biofeedback. She would say, "I gotta stop saying, you know." I got. She would start talking to herself, watching the screen. And I just sat there smug as a bug, you know. And I remember telling Fred that this, this story. And he was just laughing and smiling. He said, that's right, you know. So I, I sort of consulted with him. because, Sort of, I did. Because when a person looks into the camera, and it's, I used to tell Marianne, I said, if you hooked rugs, I could make you a star. It doesn't matter. You're just passionate about what you do. Just like Fred is passionate about what he did, I, you know, you just let that come through the lens. You are what you do. See, I could make you. You know, it's just, it's so simple. Uh, when you 
when the when the camera serves the the message rather than originates it. It's a it's a simple deal, but it takes a certain amount of humility, if you will. And if you're young, a young producer, a young director, you get kind of intoxicated with the power of of mediating a message. But when you've been doing as long as I've been doing, it's just the opposite. You just let that dog run, you know. Yeah. And it's beautiful to watch, you know. And it's it's and I I own the kennel kennel. I'm beating that analogy to death, you know. But I'm a television director and producer. I own the stables where all these. <laughs> It's even worse. Marianne would kill me, but I tell this a lot that Marianne is wonderful when she's cooking, but the minute she feels the traces on her back, meaning if I tell her to do something, you know, a little bit different, she just not, she, she doesn't know how to do it. Fred was the same way. I, God, I, I used to make this thing. I said, Fred, when you come in, you need to kind of turn to your left for a second and then keep going, whatever the reason was. Okay. So Fred said, okay, he would do it. He was like a, a stick puppet. He was so terrible. And I would think to myself, why do I direct this guy? Why? Leave him, a, leave him the hell alone. You know, figure out a different way. <laughs> and it was true. So I learned that with Marianne. But I kind of, what the hell? Just let her be who she is, you know? <laughs> Anyhow, because the minute I don't, like you have to because you have to be you have to be real with the talent and sometimes they're not gonna know what to do but that's why you're there that's right so before we say our goodbyes is it is it sort of weird for you to have fred have this kind of resurgence, like he's almost like this, this god to people now. So is it weird to just have, <laughs> like, he's just your friend, that's just Fred. Like, do you agree with them or pe millions of people in that aspect? That he's like, like a different type of person that we all need in our lives. <laughs> Yeah. Well, just I think it's a, a I'll leave the example of being that actor in the middle of Fifth Avenue crossing the street, the Burger King guy. What are the odds of that? The odds are that there's, there are forces afoot that none of us really understand. That things, uh, a very famous writer said, everything that rises must converge. And that's to me, it's a with Tom Hanks coming across that screenplay that was written with Fred as a secondary character, all these things kind of rise and converge. So I'm, I'm quite naturally with his anniversary, all those sort of things came together at once and prompted people to kind of re-spark the, the Mr. Rogers. And I think in doing so, it, it, uh, enlivened the, the existing company, the Fred Rogers company, to make a bigger effort to continue his work. You know, there's only one Fred Rogers in the world. There's only one person in the world exactly like you. And America could like Fred just the way he was, but that's it. There's not gonna be another, another Mr. Rogers. That's just yeah. not how it works. There's not gonna be another Bob Runkle. There's not gonna be another Paul Lally. That's the beauty of it. And, uh, 
if anything else, just to watch us revere for it now in, a, in the memory is uh, it's very natural for me, you know, just to, to hold him in memory. And watching Hanks do that, who I thought instantly was terrific. And yeah. I thought, man, listen, if anybody's going to blow, blow the whistle, I know Fred. And Hanks had me in the first, his silence got me. I said, okay, that's it. I'm on board. I buy, I buy Tom Hanks. So it was so cool because my dear friend Spencer Lott designed, uh, mm-hmm. re- reconstructed the puppets for that film. And oh, wow. Good. Sort of rebuilt them. And he, and like Tom Hanks was always asking him, like, what do you do? Like, he was, like, talking like Fred, like, wanting to know what the, per- like, what, he wanted to know what was inside him and them and the whole team that rebuilt these, these, um, yes. iconic characters. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw, I, since I, the, even the little trolley, the one that goes across the screen at the beginning of the show, I I was the one who in, invented that one originally because I am a model railroader. I love trains, and they rebuilt. They made little tr- what we call trolley two, and I was in contact with the guy who made those. So it was fun, you know. It's that it's that kind of joyful sort of thing, wasn't it? You know, and I'm glad you were exposed to that as well. Yeah. So this has been such a joyous conversation. I'm so happy we got to do this. Yeah. Well, anytime. I, we, I enjoy talking. I hope talking we could talk them. again yeah. soon. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll stay in touch, as we say, and um, we could probably think it's a good feeling to know you're alive. That's how Fred would end the show. And well, uh, when he would end a little early, he would just spend a little more time talking to the camera. So. That's what we've been doing. Like what we've been doing. Good to meet you. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. 